Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would not leave us to ourselves, but you would give us your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts that we might uh, behold Jesus in all of his beauty, in his goodness, and in his glory, and that we would rest in him and him alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus gives the scribes a really hard time, uh, and the 20-some-odd times that they're mentioned in the Gospels, uh, really only twice uh, are they mentioned uh, in a positive light, and uh, even then it's half-hearted. We just had one when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And, And Jesus responds, you're right, but you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. And so it's kind of one of those things that it wasn't really, uh, if anything, it's a backhanded compliment. And Jesus also says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So generally speaking, the scribes are not really positive figures within the life of the New Testament. Anytime you read, the lawyers went to Jesus and asked him, they're actually talking about the scribes. The scribes were really concerned with the law, which is why they were almost always aligned with the Pharisees who cared a lot uh, about the law. And because the law within the life of Israel had to do with the Bible, lawyers dealt with the Bible. And so they were religious figures of their day, and Jesus calls them out here once again in a negative fashion. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. The scribes miss the forest for the trees. Don't we do that? Uh, We're so interested in what the trees look like that we actually forget the overall picture. And it's interesting to me that the one time that the scribes actually commend Jesus for his teaching, it's when Jesus is talking about the broader issue of the great commandment to love God with all that you have and the second like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. They're not getting into specifics. Elsewhere, Jesus would say, you know, the problem with you scribes and Pharisees is that you strain the gnat but swallow the camel. Now, Jesus is setting them up. It's actually a very funny thing. But they're so concerned about getting the gnat out of their cup so they don't drink it, they end up swallowing a whole camel. They miss it. They miss the point. And I'll be honest with you. As I read this passage, which the editors have of my Bible, Beware of the Scribes, I think that's kind of my job description. Long robes, greetings at the Piggly Wiggly, Best seat in church, place of honor at feasts. Now, I'll admit, I don't often devour widows' houses, uh, but for a pretense, make long prayers. Lauren and I were going uh, to her family for Thanksgiving one year, and she rightfully said, she said, now look, they're going to want a good prayer, so don't just pray one of those Episcopal prayers. Uh, But but really, really pray it. And and she was right, and so instead of just you know, giving a rote prayer, uh, I started getting into it. And even before I was halfway finished, uh, Uncle Rick said, Amen, let's eat. Uh, I was making a pretense uh, of long prayers. But I think that what Jesus is getting at here in this passage, and of course the, the verses that follow are about the widow's offering, uh, are about what constitutes Christianity. Uh, what makes one 
a Christian. And it's remarkable that even for Christians, especially Christians who want to know more about God and to seek the truth, we tend to zero in on very particular things that cause us to miss the bigger picture. I mean, Jesus, the things that he brings up today uh, in our passage are even issues here at the Advent. Long robes. People will really make a big deal out of what I wear on a Sunday or what I don't wear on a Sunday. And I think it's very interesting that nobody argues about many robes. Uh, It just seems like the long robes are the thing uh, to wear. Or even how we enter into uh, the church. Uh, I was uh, once uh, asked, uh, we were having two bishops here, and there was this great grand discussion about the procession and in what order the bishops would go and who was really supposed to hold the crozier, which is their little crook. And I looked at him and I said, y'all, we're just walking into church. Does this stuff really matter? Well, it really did matter to them. And then someone was telling me about the difference between my seat and the bishop's seat. And until about three months ago, I never noticed the difference. And they said, well, the bishop's seat's just a little bit taller than yours. I don't like that. (laughs) I was fine until I knew that. Or even what you call me. You know, one January, about five years ago, I went to bed as the Reverend Canon Andrew Pearson. And I woke up the next morning, the very Reverend. I got varied in the middle of the night. And not only that, but you took my name away. You don't call me Andrew, you call me Dean. Well, what difference does all of that make? Well, it doesn't really make much of a difference, does it at all? And yet those are things that we easily get fixated upon. And whether you're a Dean or not, you deal with this in your own life too. I mean, this whole thing about deference in here really hits home for me. Anybody who's boarded a plane, you've felt this. Are you the one, even though they haven't called your zone, are standing at the gate because you're afraid someone else might get on before you who has a later zone? You're zone three, and nobody, nobody is going to get on before you get on unless they're one or two. Or even the issue of, do you know who I am? I mean, my kids once pointed out to me, we were watching uh, on Christmas Day the uh, Advent School Lessons and Carols plays, and it's a great thing to turn on uh, Alabama Public Television and watch uh, our school uh, do the Lessons and Carols thing. And one of them said, look, Daddy, there you are. You're famous. And the other one said, no, he's Birmingham famous. <laughs> That's true. Right Here, I get plenty of deference, but the moment that I leave the city limits, I'm, I'm nobody. And for someone that does receive a lot of deference, it's kind of hard to go back. But Jesus would tell us that that's not how you recognize a Christian. You don't recognize them by what they wear or where they sit or even their long, drawn-out prayers. No, You recognize at least a pastor, that is me, by what I do. How can you tell who the clergy are? Now, the visual answer to that is, well, they wear collars. They wear long robes. They sit in places of prominence. But the New Testament would say, no, the way that you identify a pastor is by what they do, the content 
of what they're doing. There they are preaching the gospel. There they are administering the sacrament from the Lord's table that preaches the gospel in a visible way. And the same is true for any Christian. It's a living out of the gospel. This is what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 6 when the people asked him a very good question. They asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And rather than saying, act religious, Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's doing the work of God. That's being a Christian, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and actually allowing him to fill your life so that the gospel is lived out. That's what the Christian life looks like. And it's not moral uprightness. The scribes had that if they had anything. They looked the part. They acted the part. But they were not living out the gospel. But what about you? What about me? Are we getting bogged down by other people's standards of what it means to be a Christian? And are we allowing that to determine how we live our lives and even how we live out our faith? I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of people telling me how I ought to vote as a Christian, who my friends ought to be as a Christian, where I ought to go as a Christian, what I ought to say, and even sometimes what I ought to believe. Now, I'm not talking about the core central truths of who Jesus Christ and what he has come to do, but it is losing the forest for the trees. That rather, I want my life to be defined as it was for that sinner that was praying in the temple. Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What does it mean to live out the gospel It's for your heart to cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. It's to actually have your life so permeated by the grace of God that you understand that we're all in the same boat. And so that love and mercy that Jesus has shown you, you show other people. Not for the sake of doing good deeds, but understanding that you are a sinner saved by grace. I wish that my heart were in a place like that, that I would stop caring about what people thinks and start caring more about what Jesus thinks, that I would stop living up to the standards of other people, and that I would start living up to Jesus' standards, how my life would be different. This morning we're going to come to the Lord's table and as Deborah Layton said in the 9 o'clock service that we come empty-handed. Y'all, the way I live my Christian life, I come with pockets full of everything. I come with pockets full of my talents, 
money, whatever it is that I think that can get me by to demonstrate my Christianity, or rather Christianosity. But no, we come empty-handed because the way that I live out my Christianity is often the way that the scribes live out their Christianity, which is thinking that I'm actually my own savior. And that's measured by the way that I live my life. But friends, God has already appointed his Messiah, and it's not you or me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we spend our days trying to fix our own meals and trying to get it all together and live the life that we think everybody wants us to live. And yet God has already prepared a meal for us. He's already done it all for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we simply come to him and live. And that we take the appropriate posture like that of the tax collector who cried out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Oftentimes the standards that the Christian church and Christian people put on you and on me are not the standards of the Bible. The standards of the Bible, if you want to live the Christian life, if you want to see the Holy Spirit moving in your life, if you want to see your faith lived out, if you want to do the work of God, then believe on him who has been sent by God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will know the freedom of that is in our Lord. Let us pray. Oh God, we do pray that so often we live our lives according to the standards of others. And Lord, sometimes those standards aren't bad. Sometimes they're even helpful. But Lord, we pray that we would not lose the forest for the trees, that we would not strain the gnat for the camel, but that we would keep our eyes ever focused upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we might turn to you and put our trust in you and you alone your death and your resurrection, which has set us free not only from the bondage of death, but also the bondage of sin. And that, Lord, in our lives, we might care a whole lot more about what you think rather than what the world thinks. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, We hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.